Industry Talks is here to bring you the best and brightest in the aviation industry. We will be speaking with industry experts on a wide range of topics from career successes to career changes. The aviation industry is on the rise and we're here to help you navigate through these unexpected times. Whether you are entering or re-entering the workforce, this is the pilot podcast that you've been asking for. I need a job to get the experience and experience to get a job is an old adage that has been echoed by many pilots all around the world. In the United States, for example, the FAA requires 1,500 hours of flight experience before becoming eligible to join the airlines. There are many avenues in the States available to prospective pilots to achieve the desired 1,500-hour mark. However, in South Africa, the market is substantially smaller and opportunities are less readily available. And in order to get that desired experience, that South African operators are looking for. The avenues are invariably instructing, working the Delta in Mount, or if you're very, very lucky, getting a right-hand seat position, flying charter either locally or operating contract throughout Africa. However, the same problem generally remains when tapping into contract positions. You need a job to get experience, and I need the experience to get the job. How do you tap into the market when short of the desired experience and work your way up the ladder? To answer some of those questions, if someone here has done exactly that, and joining me today is Deb Ford, 10 First Officer and Contract Pilot, Murray Bass. Murray, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the show, Murray, and uh, glad my insistent messages and mails over the past months have finally paid off. <laughs> for anyone out there who was wondering, perseverance does <laughs> pay off. Perseverance pays off. You're a busy guy, and it's difficult to get you off tour. I yeah. understand that is limited. Um, so thanks. We appreciate you coming on the show. Now, you and I go, <clears throat> we go back quite a ways. I've known you for a long time. Mm, quite a while. Fortunately. Uh, but just for those out there that don't know who you are, um, can you just give us a bit of background into your story, how you got involved in aviation, and, uh, yeah, how you and I actually came across each other? Right. Okay. Well. Like most young boys, whenever I saw an airplane, I stopped and I stared. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean I thought I was going to get into aviation my whole life. Um, there were times when I was more inclined and times when I was less inclined growing up, going through high school. Um, but eventually, the end of matric came and it was crunch time, time to decide what I want to do the next year. And I realized when what has been the most common denominator over the years, it's always been aviation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I decided to give it a shot. So, yeah, it was, uh, I finished matric in 2013. And on the 6th of January, 2014, I met you at Aptrack. And <laughs> that was where this whole story began all those years ago. Um, so, yeah, I shopped around a little bit and I came to the conclusion that, you know, I born and raised in PE, parents live in PE. My father actually did his PPL at Aptrack uh, back in 2004. Mm. Um, it's a shame he never continued to pursue the comm because he could have probably actually pulled it off. Um, back then, people said he was a bit too old and he wasn't even that old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we've actually got our solar certificates uh, hung up next to each other in his uh, apartment. So yeah, I decided to go to Abtrack and uh, start with the PPL training. And um, after a year and uh, what was it in August, um, so a year and eight months, I qualified with a multi-engine IF rating and I got my comp. Um, yeah, I could have done it a bit quicker if we didn't have so much fun, you and I. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it was a great, it was a great experience. And uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, throughout that experience, I basically had my head down, grinding away, getting, getting the qualifications. And uh, eventually I looked around and I realized I have three bars on my shoulders now and I don't know what I want to do. Um, and this is where I realized that I actually, because I was so inclined on doing other things along the way, I never really followed the aviation industry as well as I should have, you know, to be properly mm. informed. And I never really had a mentor or someone that had, you know, gone through and gotten to the end, you know, I guess, you know, airline pilot would be the end for some people. Yeah, sure. Um, but someone that, you know, knew the waters, knew how to navigate them. So I found myself at the end of uh, a com with no real idea of what lay ahead now and what the, you know, the job market looked like. It wasn't too good at that time, but, you know, what type of options I had. Um, the only lifeline I had at that point was a mutual friend of ours, Marco. He uh, qualified with his uh, commercial license about a month, month or so before me. And he managed to organize us a job uh, flying gyrocopters and, uh, it's very interested by these weird looking things, um, half helicopter, half airplane. And it looked like some exciting flying that they were going to be doing, you know, doing these uh, crop spraying operations around South Africa. So, uh, yeah, I decided to uh, follow Marco. And um, we all kind of know how that happened. We get into a bit of a dark part of the conversation now. Um, well, the day I uh, got my qualification on the gyrocopter, mm -hmm. um, Marco, unfortunately, had an accident on one of his first or second days uh, on the job. And um, he passed away that night in, uh, in Doringen's hospital in the Burns unit. Um, yeah. It was quite a gruesome experience. And it shook the aviation industry in, the, in our area. Everyone that knew him, everyone who was still busy with their comms, everyone who had finished their comms, the instructors, everyone. Um, so we all went through a bit of a, a grieving phase there, and it was a dark moment. Mm. Um, so I went and I, I looked at my father, and I said, and my father was very close with Marco, so he was like a he was like a brother in the house. He, sure, yeah, he was more at our house than he was in the crew house. Um, and we we basically realized like the uh, the gyrocopter route is not the route I should be taking. Yeah, it's, uh, that type of flying should rather be left to people with a bit more experience, not fresh com guys. Um, so then I was back to square one again. And then I realized, you know, when I tested for my comm, Wayne Westerby was my testing officer. And he extended a hand out to me at, at the time and said, you know, I'm running this P course at, at BDC. We'd really like you to come have a look and see what you think, because you seem like the right candidate, someone that we're looking for. Um, and eventually I took him up on that offer and I said, Wayne, does the office still stand? I'd like to come have a look. Um, Basically, for anyone who doesn't know, the airline pilot preparation program was the brainchild of PTC to get a fresh, uh, calm guy, um, airline proficient for the right-hand seat of a medium-range jet aircraft, um, specifically on the 737-800. At that stage? Yeah. At that stage, it was the 737-800. So, um, yeah, I decided it's time to fly something with a bit more redundancy, mm -hmm. a little bit of a better safety record, and with a bit more of a professional environment where I could actually further my career. So just to touch on that, so ACCP, um, I think it, it is actually in place even before my time at PEC. I mean, it was, uh, I think that was the initial concept. Um, 
And I don't think anyone at that stage in the country had done something like this. That initial jet bridging program, I'm pretty sure there were, there were um, organizations that are offering a jet bridge type program, not quite... For people of our level of experience. Not quite what the uh, AFPP had envisioned at that stage. I mean, there were a lot of advanced courses on it. Yeah. Um, so also an, an unknown entity for you, uh, a little bit of a, a bit of a leaf of faith. So, what was the what was the idea behind that AFPP? What what kind of training did you receive? Um, and what was the end goal for you specifically? What were you having to get out of that program? Well, I mean, the end goal was obviously a type rating, but not just the type rating on the seven three seven, but also the operational training that goes around having that type rating and how you are actually going to operate on the line one day. So that was also very much incorporated into it, not just how do you fly the thing, but how do you actually operate in an airline environment? It was supposed to be completely, um, you know, covering all the bases and preparing you so that when you got on the line, you weren't behind the drag curve, as the guys say. Mm. Um, Also was in the back of the mind was to also get an interview at an airline, a local a domestic carrier in South Africa, um, which eventually um, we managed to do. Um, what do you mean we? <clears throat> myself and the other guys on the course. How many other guys on the course? Well, there was one with me and then one after me, um, but all three of so us three were interviews, interviews, interviews. So all, um, all South African guys? Or? All South African guys, yeah. Um, but it took a bit of time after we got the... The, the course completed um, to actually secure those interviews. But in the meantime, I got the ATPL uh, exams out of the way, which if anyone's listening that hasn't done them, please just do them because everyone wants them done. They need to be done. It's sure. very important for wherever you go to make sure that they're out of the way and you don't want to be working and studying at the same time. Um, so I manned the sim at the same time. I basically got to do two ATPLPs. Um you know, in the meantime, while I was writing those exams, got to man the sim, and I really got to know the ins and outs um, a lot more than I was expecting, um, which was great. It was, a, it was a lot of fun and was very, uh, very educational. So at, at that stage, what kind of operational elements? So you touched on quite a bit, um, mm. the getting you ready for the line. Yes. Um, it was more than just flying the aircraft itself. So what kind of operational elements that they did that they incorporate with the training to, I suppose, enhance realism in that stage? I mean, complete uh, pre-flight briefings, having the weather and everything, and having a, a crew briefing with uh, hosties, um, air traffic control, ground handling, um, your engineers, your ground staff, um, dealing with passengers sometimes as well. It was a, basically everything that an airline pilot would experience in a day. We tried to recreate as as accurately as possible. And there were a lot of uh, um, industry experts that were involved in flying for local domestic uh, carriers that were giving their input and helping to refine that simulation to be as accurate as possible, even airport specific in South Africa. So you know that at that airport, you're probably going to experience this type of thing. You've got to ask these people for this before those people. It was, it was a very um, comprehensive um, experience and uh, Quite well done and a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it wasn't just flying the airplane. It was everything around operating the aircraft. So yeah, it was a, it was a great course. Like a simulated operational environment. Basically. Um, did you, 
so you and your sim partner, you stick with each other through the whole course? You had the opportunity to fly with other people? Um, we did actually manage to get uh, opportunities to fly with line captains. Um, and when you start getting towards the end of the course, I think that was when we incorporated those uh, those flights. And that's when it really hits you that this guy, that his job is to operate the 737 on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And you, as a novice, with this bit of training that you've been doing over the last month or, month or two, you are actually operating seamlessly with a captain that does this every day. And that's when it actually hits you that this is some next level training, that you are actually speaking the same language and that you you can actually operate on the line. And, yeah. and did this ultimately end in a, you mentioned type rating? Type rating, yes. What was that experience like for you? Were you fresh com? Uh, you've had some sim training going through to uh, well, type going, rating? Yeah, going to a level D sim was, uh, was fun. Um, we did our training at, odd hours that Level D Sim was running full-time. Of course, yeah, because, I mean, I would have had uh, the SA guys, mm. Mango, um, pretty much, yeah, I mean, you'd have to start in between that. I, I mean, if I was doing 77 training at that time. Yeah, so um, there was one opportunity or one moment when I uh, we were doing circuits in the Level D and I, I forgot to flare. And I basically, <laughs> then, we had to reset the hydraulics <laughs> Catches everybody once. And we had to go reset the hydraulics in the level D sim. So that was fun. Everyone had a bit of whiplash after that. Sure. Um, but it was a it was a great experience uh, to go and actually get into a level D. It was amazing. And ultimately successfully competed type rating, eh? Yes, yes. Now you mentioned that the whole idea for you was to get a interview um, with a operator or an airline um, domestic operator. And in the interim, you are manning the simulator and doing your ATP exams. Mm. Um, having sat this course, do you feel it helped you with the theoretical knowledge with regards to the ATPL exams? Um, definitely. The um, I must say, those COM exams were a lot tougher on me than the ATPL. There was a lot of information that I was able to take through yeah. to the ATPL. I got through them, I think maybe failed one throughout all of it. And I can't even remember which one I probably met. I mean, you did yeah, lecture me, met, so yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> That's got anything to do with it. Um, but no, definitely, it did carry a lot of... Uh, well, a lot of extra classes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, definitely, it helped a lot. Um, yeah, the, the, ATP, the ATPL subjects, I thought, would have gone a lot worse, but they didn't. Um, I think it prepared me for a lot of things. Um, not just that course, but everything I've done in my training thus far that base foundation of uh, of operational training that I had and that level and that professionalism that that we had to bring to it. Because they like they always said from day one, there was a wave that was building and you better start paddling to catch the wave. I was sure if you miss the wave, you're not going to make it. Um, so that level of um, dedication and commitment and yeah, I've, it, it's it's made my training with my current company and, you know, the revalidations every year and the proficiency checks, it's made them go a lot smoother in my initial type rating as well on the lead 14. I don't think I would have been able to get through it as smoothly as I did if it wasn't for the training that I got there. It's very much transferable. Having gone through that, yeah, that experience. It, it's very much transferable to other environments in aviation. So you wanted to ideally end up flying for 121 operator, mm. uh, commercial airline. Yeah. Um, 
and you did get that that opportunity. So can you just take us through through that interview process? Yeah, so eventually we got a uh, a call from Airlink and they said they would like to have us for an interview. Mm. We went uh, up to Joburg and uh, did the, uh, I think it was the the ground, uh, you know, the general ground the evaluation, which is a theoretical knowledge, knowledge first. Yeah. So we had the panel interview and that went all right. And then after that came the Sykes and passed the panel interview, passed the ground. One thing I wasn't aware of was this little thing called Sykes. We actually did a compass thing at, uh, at PEC before. Sure. So I was aware that there are some sort of personality profiles that are involved in aviation, but never to the extent of Sykes evaluations. I didn't yeah. really prepare for that. And at the, to be honest, at the age when I did that interview, I was 21. So taking that into account, I'm not making excuses for my psychs, <laughs> but uh, I unfortunately didn't come through the psychs evaluation. Okay. Um, so a bit of a disappointment, but hey, you know, it is what it is. Um, so, yeah. A good learning experience, I imagine, for what was coming in, in the future, having, you know, mm. gone through that kind of... Yeah, they say there's this thing called in, interview practice or yeah. interview, what do they call it? It's like the more interviews you do, the better, the better you, get. you get at interviews. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was at least some sort of practice to to know what it's like to put the suit and tie on and go into that sort of shark tank, <laughs> you know, and then have good evening sharks. Uh, I'd like a job. Uh, but they're really nice, actually. They're more, they're more intimidating than they are in real life. The, yeah. the, the, the panel interviews. I think, often, I think often the guys in the, the interviews are the, the, the uh, fortune of sitting up. Often they just try to make it as comfortable as possible because, mm. I mean, like anything, it's almost like flying with a crew. You only have a couple of minutes to really make an assessment on on a person, mm-hmm. and that's much easier, of course, when you when you say to you. So I think in the South African context, from from my experiences and I've heard from others, generally the the, the interview experiences here are, are quite positive. No, it is. I've um, also heard some more more difficult stories internationally. Yeah, um, where guys have, have, have come up against more more difficult things. I think it all depends what you're doing, and uh, almost a, almost a culture plays into it, depending on mm-hmm. on you know, where you're planning to operate. I mean, each interview is different. You can't paint them the same way. Yeah. No, just the main rule is if you don't know the answer, just say you don't know and that yeah. you know where to find it. Um, and the guys are really, really nice to go to go for interviews with. It's it's not as bad as, but you stress when you before you go in. But the more you do it, the more you realize it's actually not that bad. And if you just be honest and do your best, it'll be fine. So obviously very disappointing mm. that you didn't get that opportunity so close. Yeah, it was so close, but so far. Um, what was the next step for you, though? Well, then it's back to the drawing board again. <laughs> so um, now, to be honest, after I had that experience with with Marco passing away, and it was it was about a month, month and a half after that accident that I was on the HPP course, I realized that you know I had uh, maybe been a bit hasty, and I had not taken the time to grieve properly and to really just take a step back and just assess the situation so from there i uh i decided you know let's just get back to basics you know the bread and butter of a com of a fresh com pilot is his instructor's rating that's what everybody does and it's 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 a safe bet and at least it's more it's more knowledge that i could gain it was another course that i could set it was something else i could add to to my cv and um it was something that in the meantime i was interested in knowing the instructors that I dealt with at PDC 
and the type of future that you could have in instruction as well. That it's mm. not just it's not just uh, bombing around in a piston. That you could actually take this instructors quite far. So I came back to PDC, and um, yeah, it was nice to be back home where I knew everyone and it was comfortable. And I I jumped in and did an instructors rating, um, not even a month or two afterwards, and. Uh, that was a great course. I had a lot of fun and I realized just how little I still know about flying. Mm. Um, yeah, when you stand up there in front of the whiteboard and uh, you know the friends that you have on your instructor's course start grilling you until you paint yourself into a corner and you sit there red in the face, nothing as humbling as that. Um, uh, that initial instructor's course is a tough course. Though. Yeah, it really, yeah, really, really is. Um, I think it almost kind of highlights one thing to know something that's a different thing entirely to get the message across to someone. Mm, mm. Um, and you really have to know something yeah. comprehensively if you ever want to explain it to somebody. Precisely. From yeah. all angles. You've yeah. got to know that big picture. Yeah. So instructor's course is done. Yeah. Um, this was now, um, when would that would have been? 2017. Yeah. Yeah, January 2017, instructor's course finished. And uh, yeah, now we're looking for jobs again. Mm-hmm. So I just got to it and I started phoning around and sending out CVs and everything like that and looking for instructor's jobs all over the country at whatever flight school would take my CV. Um, in the meantime, I had a friend who was flying the late 410 yeah. at the time. He'd actually been at the same high school as me and same flight school as well. And uh, he gave me a call out of the blue, really random. Like uh, this just shows how, how the world works. And he said, Hey, but what are you up to right now? Like, uh, I gave him a bit of a rundown of what had just uh, transpired over the last, you know, year and a half. And he said, oh, okay, cool. So you're sending your CV out, you're looking for a job. And he says, you know, just give me your CV and uh, I'll put it in here at my company and we'll, we'll see what happens. And I'm like, yeah, 100%. So I sent it to him. And wouldn't you know it, the contract company, the late 14 contract company phones me back before any flight school phoned me back. Jumped in the airplane, flew up to Joburg again, and here I am sitting on a panel interview. Another interview. Yeah. Um, this time, still stressful, um, but a little bit less so because, you know, I've done one of these before for a bigger company in inverted commas. I don't know if you could say it that way. Um, um, and it, was, it, it went fine. I got through the, yet again, it was a ground uh, technical uh, exam. And then a panel interview and a SIM check. Actually, we actually got to the SIM check this time. Um, at Link, the SIM check would have come after the site, so I didn't get a chance okay. to actually play around in their SIM. Um, and I waited a week, and I got a phone call back from them. And uh, I'm going to say this anyway because it's, it's just a funny story, but uh, my, my wisdom teeth uh, were coming out at the time. So I was popping my ambulance like they were Tic Tacs because I was in major pain after my surgery to get the wisdom teeth out. And uh, they phoned me back and said, hey, Murray, that uh, the interview went very well and we'd, we'd like to have you. It's just one problem. Your drug test came back positive for opioids. And I'm, like, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I thought this might happen. <laughs> so I phoned my dentist immediately. I'm like, listen, clear it up with these people. <laughs> and he sends them an, uh, an email and I see him saying, listen, 100%. I, I pulled four of his teeth out the other day. Um, the poor man's in pain. <laughs> But I mean, uh, that's yeah. That was that was quite funny. But actually. also, to show how thorough these processes are. Yeah. I mean, no. If you have a look, it's a theoretical knowledge exam. It's it's a panel interview, uh, simulated check, uh, drug test, mm. psychometric evaluation. I mean, 
I don't think that the general public actually appreciates how much guys actually have to get through to get to the front end or, or the point end of, of any kind of commercial transport. This is why it's one of the safest means of transport. Yeah. You don't just let anybody in. Um, so, yeah, we cleared that up with them and they said, okay, no, that's that's fine. Um, however, you are quite young because at this time I was still 20, yeah, I was still 21 at this stage. And uh, they said, yeah, you, you're still a bit young and contract flying is not exactly the same as operating at home, you know, back in, in the comfort of your own home. Going right to the general flying area. Yeah, going to the general flying area. Yeah. Or even, um, I mean, I couldn't speak for airline pilots because I haven't been there yet, but there's different operational considerations to take into account when you're flying in a war zone as opposed to flying out of our tempo. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's yeah. a different operating, different operation. Yeah. So they said to me, "No, listen, you're you're a bit young, but we still want you. Um, we've got an office job for you. Um, you do that office job for two years, and then there's an upgrade waiting for you at the end. Hundred percent. And the late four ten for me at that point, it was a, a multi crew aircraft, a turboprop, um, not the heaviest thing on earth, um, but it's got that turbine time." multi-engine, multi-crew, and it's it's that stepping board, that springboard that everyone is actually looking for, that one that's going to propel them and make them eligible for the next step onwards. Yeah. So I was very excited about that, and I said, no, that's 100%. I'm not going to carry on looking for an instructor's job if you guys are offering me a guaranteed upgrade. So I, I took it, and I moved up to Joburg, and I started uh, my office job. What was that office job? What were they offering? Was it like a refueler or what were you doing? Oh, if only. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, uh, I was a flight tracker. I, uh, I got to watch the guys uh, on a computer with their GPS uh, tracking units in the aircraft. And I would just make sure that everybody was sticking to their schedules and going to the places they need to be. I logged the takeoff landing times. And if there was ever an emergency, um, there's a button actually to press on that tracking unit that sends out an SOS signal. And I would be the first line of defense to initiate the emergency response plans. It's a lot of flight radar. Yeah. So anyone who's been like on the flight radar app for fun, like yeah. this is the job for you. <laughs> You're basically watching your own company's aircraft in darkest Africa. And um, yeah. Just was, Africa all over the world? Well, actually, we, we've got operations uh, all over the world. Um, and you, but mostly but you were mostly responsible for Africa. No, for the, for the entire company. So we actually had night shifts because we've got guys uh, in Asia as well. So when they get going in the morning, it's it's, it's a night shift for you if you're uh, in South Africa. So, yeah, um, basically doing that. And then there was a bit of other um, paperwork involved as well, um, obviously, uh, because you don't have to just sit and watch airplanes. So the paperwork was actually quite welcome to just take your eyes off the screen for a second while you did some paperwork. Um, so I did that for yeah a year and a half actually, and then the upgrade came a little bit sooner than expected. Well, let's talk about that time you were doing this. I mean, a year and a half sounds like a long time, particularly to youngsters getting into industry. I don't want to wait a year and a half. I just spent a year and a half, for example, in your instance, training to be a pilot. Now you're telling me I have to wait another year and a half. Mm. For those of you wondering if it's worth it, do you think if you had to look at what you gained out of that experience, was it worth it? I think that year and a half, two years, probably shortened my entire career development by four years, 
five years mm-hmm. that I shaved off if I had gone the instruction route. As opposed to, to that, I think I shaved off four to five years uh, by taking uh, this route through, through the office. And there were many other pilots actually in the office as well, uh, guys working as base managers. So it's not just office jobs. You actually get some of the guys get to go out into the field and manage the bases um, with the pilots, work alongside them and with the clients. And uh, that, that is their uh, time that they put in. And then they also get upgrades. So you do find companies out there that that offer these other alternatives because um, they yeah it's it's a mutually beneficial relationship they get a dedicated employee and you get what you've always wanted which is that uh, that turbine multi engine multi crew time. Now, what were some of the challenges you faced working in the office? I mean, it must have been a, a little bit of frustration waiting for this to end, or would you just throw yourself into the job and just fully? Fully embrace of what it was. The, for the first year, obviously, I was I was just happy, and I threw myself into just the job. Just happy to be there. Huh? Just happy to be there. But then eventually, the bug starts to bite, and then you get a bit itchy. And looking at watching the guys on the screen all the time starts to not really be that great. Um, but you know, it's it's every job is going to be what you make of it. If you're going to approach it with without gratitude, and it's going to be a schlep. And it's just something that you're trying to, it means to an end. And if you're not going to actually take a moment to realize that you're in the heart of the company, actually, yeah. you're in where you're in the, you know, the beating heart where, where things happen. And if you just look up every now and again and listen to the meetings that happen in the office where you're sitting, watching an airplane, doing something that is supposedly not that important, but you're in on all the meetings and you get to hear how the operations work. You get to chat with all the operations controllers um, and you really get a sense for how the the company is working from from the office perspective. And if you apply yourself and just open your eyes and ears while you're there, you'll take a lot of knowledge of that with you into the field once once you get to upgrade eventually. So um, I really I, I did try and uh, do it to the best of my ability and and just absorb as much as I could while I was in the office. Um, but eventually you do want to go fly because that, oh, is, that is the end, that is the end goal. Um, so, yeah, eventually after a year and a half, they, they finally uh, said, you know what, uh, we've got an upgrade for you now. Uh, actually, in that time, they started the, they also introduced psychometric tests. So my old nemesis was now finally in my face again. And uh, wouldn't you know that uh, six months before I was scheduled to upgrade, they said, okay, it's time to just do socks, get them out the way so that in the next six months, you know, you're home free. You just need to go. Messed up the socks again. And now I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've put in a bit of time. I'm a bit older, a bit wiser, but this is still a problem. Um, so they were actually quite nice. The lady that did the socks said to me, you know, normally you have to do these over after a year again. Um, but if you want to go for some coaching, we can do it in six months. And I said, 100%. A little bit of coaching, a little bit of uh, information on how to write the psychs and what type of mindset to be in. It's, uh, you'll speak to a lot of pilots. I'm not the only one that has had this problem. Psychometric tests are a very strange thing to get through. Do you um, think Do you think it, uh, the fact you were unsuccessful previously almost, you know the saying, big match temperament. Do you, you think there was a degree of the things coming um, – they didn't go so well last time, and there was a degree of almost sucking yourself out. 
yeah, they'll tell you to uh, just be yourself and to, to calm down. But then they'll say in the back of the mind, you know, that if I don't pass this thing, then my dreams are falling apart again. I'm back to square one. So it is difficult to try and keep a level head while you do it, especially knowing that you've failed this before. Um, but to be honest, what I really messed up in the sucks was my mindset was in office mode. Because after a year and a half of working in the office, that was the type of work environment I was used to. So eventually, uh, the coach that I was with, she basically said, but remember that time at PTC when you were manning the sim and you were sitting in the left-hand seat in the sim and you know operating those type of um, those flights? What type of attitude did you have in that work environment? Because it was actually a work environment, even though you weren't getting paid. Yeah, 100%. And I, I just put myself back in PTC days and I thought to myself, yes, but I don't operate the same way in the office as I did back then. And that was, uh, yeah, the, 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 silver, the silver bullet that actually helped me to pass. And I just, when I wrote those exams, I just imagined myself back in that 7-3 sim and operating like that. And how would I think and how would I approach a situation over there? And I passed with flying colors the second time. So it's really, it's just, uh, it's just about knowing how to write them and what mindset to be in and how you should be thinking when you do it. So if you fail a psych test, it happens to a lot of people. Just go and have a little look again and see what type of mindset were you in. Um, yeah. So eventually passed them the second time. That was two years to the day and I got my upgrade and I finally got to get out of the office. And now I'm uh, ever since then, it's been a right-hand seat in a late 14 and going off around Africa into these weird places. And yeah, it's been, it's been fun. It's been exciting gained a lot of experience uh, of you know actually flying in in short runways dirt strips bad weather um yeah it's it's been a lot of fun and uh, for the foreseeable future i'm going to stick to this because this is this is great this is an aspect of flying that i actually wasn't aware of throughout my, my flight training everyone everyone thinks of pilots and they just think airlines there's an entire industry out there of pilots that that most people don't see I want to touch back on that office experience um, as well. <clears throat> Having spent a year and a half in the hub, in the heart of the company, as you call it, and going out into the field, do you feel that it made your transition to contract easier? Having been where you were, it's a lot of communication um, between the office and the guys in the field, knowing who to talk to and knowing what process they need to go through first before they can get something done really helps you to make an informed decision when you're out there. And um, yeah, so definitely it did help the transition quite a bit, at least. And I used to see all of the, uh, the crew as they would come through for training. Sure. I was in charge of their paperwork and all of the documentation. So I basically knew all the names of everyone in the company. I just needed to put faces to names and it really helped me to, and well, a lot of them I met as well, you know, while I was in the office. So when I got out there, I already had a few friends that I, that I could, you know, work with and we all lived together in a compound and you kind of, it's a, it's a strange environment, but you, you, your, your colleagues become your friends because they're actually the people you live with. And so it's not just, you know, CRM doesn't end when the engine shuts down, it actually continues through the weekend when you guys live together for two months at a time mm. out there. I suppose um, that's where it actually plays plays the biggest role in contract because I imagine 
the places that you operated, you invariably so isolated from the rest of the world that you only have those those people that you're working with around you. Mm. So I mean, that's when you must probably be digging deep into Syrian when you're month and a half in your contract, two months in, and yeah, you know, there's no electricity, the internet's not working. Um, the the, the technical problems you have to kind of overcome, and I think. Operational pressures yeah, start to get to you. Yeah. yeah, the operational pressures start to get to you. Um, no, you, you start to lean on each other big time. Um, you know, you miss your family and your friends at home. It, it happens. And, uh, yeah, your your crew members are, are are brilliant, actually. Most most of the guys are awesome. And uh, we still, even when we're off tour, if we're in the area and we can see each other, we see each other because mm. – it's sort of uh, you're in the trenches together, and it's a uh, it's a brilliant type of you know, brotherly bond that you that like you family, start to yeah? form. Oh, hundred percent, yeah. Um, I must say, if you uh, manage to spend some time in a in a boarding school <laughs> during high school, it also helps <laughs> you learn how to live with people and stuff like that. Yeah. How was it transitioning and doing a type rating to left four ten um, after having not flown for a year? Almost no, it would have been almost two and a half years at that stage. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it was quite a while um, since you know getting back into it. Um, luckily, the Lead 410 is not too difficult of an aircraft to operate. Um, less power than a 737, so yeah. you've got to you've got to really know what you're doing when when one of the donkeys dies. Um, but what do you mean donkeys die? <laughs> one, of one of the engines, engines fell. One of the engines fell. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, besides that, it, it was a relatively easy. It's, it is a relatively easy aircraft to fly. Some people refer to it as a a multi-engine, you know, 172. It's just, mm. uh, it's, she's quite easy, high wing, and uh, she's solid as a rock. You can try and break her. I, I have, and she just doesn't break. Uh, she's mechanically sound. Um, so, yeah, getting back into it was a bit of a learning curve, but like I said, that, um, that foundation at PDC, I mean, if you can get through an HFP 737 type rating, lead for 10, it's not too bad. Um, so getting back to those foundational um, structures that I would follow to get through that, I just used those same tools again, you know, in that environment. And it was yeah. it was really not not too bad. Just leaning um, on their promise, yeah? Yeah. So, no, all of these skills that I learned before were very, very much uh, transferable to, to that uh, situation. So, Mary, you, you spoke about the the nice elements of being on contract, but I imagine it's not as easy as it seems. I mean, what are some of the challenges that guys going out onto contract around the world or into Africa specifically could expect to face and have to deal with? Mm. Well, look, when when, uh, when my company actually told me that I was too young and that I needed a bit more experience to mature a little bit, they were right because there are definitely downsides and there are things you need to, to take into account when you make the decision to go into contract work. Uh, number one being you're away from your friends and family for extended periods of time. Um, now, if your company is good, they, they've got nice on-tour and off-tour times and it's, uh, it's predictable and you can, you can sort of plan your life, but you will miss weddings, you will miss birthdays, you'll miss anniversaries. It's just part of the deal. Um, that was almost part of the course of being a pilot in general. No, it, definitely. Um, it's just, uh, 
I do feel that if you were operating on a local level, yeah, you most likely will be back home in the evening. It's more flexible. Um, yeah. More flexible. Um, and it's a lot to ask of your spouse. You know, a lot of contract guys are, are single um, because it really, it you ask a lot of them uh, to, to put up with while, while you're away. Um, but, you know, it is a great experience for young guys. Um, if you can take in all of that experience and see the places, it's, it's worth it. Um, so, it's, yeah, definitely, it's being away from people. Um, operationally? Operationally, it's it's tough. It, it's You don't generally have a, a hostie that brings you coffee and lunch. It's um, it's hot. You're, you're, you're generally operating, especially for humanitarian contracts, you're, you're in... Um, you're in war zones mm -hmm. and they aren't, there's no infrastructure. The food is, uh, you know, questionable. You need to make sure you don't eat the wrong things. You need to make sure you get the right water. And, you know, companies are very good with their emergency response plan should violence break out in these areas that you operate in. Um, so there's always, you run that risk as well. Um, anything can happen in these areas where, somebody shoots somebody and all of a sudden what was peaceful for the last six months just flames up and mm. you need to have your bag ready and you need to get out of there. Luckily, I haven't had to experience anything to that level yet, but I know of guys that have. So there's, uh, there's that sort of operational uh, considerations as well. Um, but all in all, you do get a lot of good off time that you can use quite constructively if you if you want to uh it makes travel and uh that sort of thing really easy if you want to go and travel the world and you know go and see some things um that time that you're off it's your time you can do what you please um so those are some of the benefits um obviously the money in some sense is also better if you're in the right company in the right position because you are sacrificing quite a bit of yourself mm. to give to the company. Um, but they reward you for it if, if you do it properly. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, there are some guys that are contract dogs and they will be for the rest of their life. That's what they love to do. The, the fact that you can see, you, you don't become a bus driver, you know. Sometimes I feel that on domestic routes and stuff, eventually everything is great for the first few months. Eventually, you're going to get used to it, and it's going to become pretty much the same route that you're flying. You've seen it all before, but on a contract company, you can go to a completely different country, and they give you that phone call, or they send you that email, and they say, are you ready? And off you go into the unknown. So it is always an adventure. There's always something new around the corner that you can see, and that really does, that is one of the selling points for me, is to know that I can go and see something completely new. And uh, yeah, in the next week and a half, I'm going to see something completely new that I haven't seen before. And uh, yeah, if that's the type of life you want to live, at least for a while, then I would really recommend guys to try and get into contract before they decide to go and join an airline because um, you'll see places that most people will never see in their life that have never heard of it. Yeah. Mary, just for guys that, have faced obstacles in their career. Now, you've obviously, you went back to the drawing board a few times. Unfortunately, you were able to lean on, on your training and experiences in the past that kind of help you advance to the next level. 
what advice do you have for guys that were in a similar position to you? They've they've popped out of training now um, mm. in an industry which has been very hard hit internationally by a pandemic, which has been now through by the looks of things. Um, and the industry is healing. There's definitely good movement at this stage at the right levels, but obviously there's a surplus of pilots on the market. What do you advice do you have for guys that are in a similar position to you looking at trying to get their first start, their first kick mm-hmm. in a bit? There is no substitute for experience. And if you can find people, if it's at your flight club, your local flight club, or where at your flight school, wherever it may be, that have that have walked the path before you, and that are currently in positions that you could maybe consider, you know, following in. Talk to talk to people. Talk to guys that have that have done this before. A, a podcast like this is is brilliant. Uh, you've had a lot of interesting people on this podcast. Um, it's a great way, but to 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 be able to map the different options because there are many ways this going to get. Um, and if you can talk to as many people as possible, that is step one, just to know what you're getting yourself in for. And the second is when you finally decide the route you want to take, it's perseverance. It's it, That's all it is. It's, it's putting your head down and knowing that good things will come if you just keep going. Um, yeah, that, that's about it. But what I could really say for me, it was, if I could go back and do things again, I would have had my eyes open a little bit further ahead and not just so focused on the present and to try and get a mentor, get a few mentors um, that can help lay out a path for you. It's having that 10-year, five-year, three-year, one-year career plan, right? Finding a mentor, mapping mapping out a future for yourself or carving a path, like you say. 100%. Mentors, I mean, there's tons of, of guys in... South African aviation that are in every region that are just absolute wealth of experience. They have a wealth of experience. They've, they've been in two places and done things that, that many people won't have the opportunity to do again. Mm. You know, they're at that level and you know, it's never been easier to, to find a mentor. Social media is a great way of, of reaching out to people. Yeah, LinkedIn, definitely. Instagram, even Facebook, and popping someone a message, asking them for some advice. I can call it out. And generally, when you ask people, but specifically when you're asking them for advice, do you have 10 minutes, five minutes for a quick phone call? I just I want, to, I want to propose something, or I'd like just to get your input on an idea that I have. I really need help. Mm-hmm. That's always funny to help, because we've all been there. Yeah, been everyone, knows the, everyone knows the struggle, eh? Um, mm-hmm. So we're all really willing to, to give advice. Um, and also then, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade because sometimes something will come completely out of the blue and it wasn't what your five-year, 10-year plan was. But if it looks good, have that leap of faith. A little bit of faith as well goes a long way. I'm doing life on life gems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gems. Oh. Yeah, sometimes life makes your decisions for you. Yeah, and just go with it if it feels right. Mary, I just want to say thanks. Mm. Funny Thank coming on the show. Yeah. Um, it's been great catching up with you again, and we wish you all the best for your future on contract. Yes. It is exciting. I know you are going to a completely new theatre this time, so wish you guys all the best out there and see you when you get back. Thanks, Dan. Definitely. See you, see you when you get back. Have a good one, Mary. Cheers. Thanks.
You're listening to PTC Industry Talks. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. We'll be bringing you new episodes weekly.